three, host to the Building Abundance Success Series. Our Primetime Mastermind Spotlight is on Disability Employment Awareness Month. My guest is John Kemp. He is a national and international disability rights icon. And if you remember, we had him on earlier this year. He talks about the importance not only of this 30th year anniversary of the ADA, but how far we've come in employment, employing people with disabilities. He is the CEO of the SCARDI Center that helps to empower people and inspire people with disabilities. And they have a great entrepreneurship program that they are implementing this year. To find out more about John and his work, you can go to thestartycenter.org. John and I are coming at you right now. I wanted to talk about the employment of people with disabilities. We just got finished celebrating uh, the 30th anniversary of the ADA, and I had a series which you were in. Uh, so you're, you are coming back. Thank you for coming back. But the topic of employment. Uh, and people with disabilities. And you look at what we're going through now as a country, as a world, and um, it, it's a lot of people are, are losing their jobs. How in the last 30 years has there been an improvement in employment, first of all? Let's go there. And have there been an uh, improvement in the 30 years up to, say, before the pandemic? Yes, there's been a small improvement. Um, not not anything great, and I think if we dissected the numbers, and if, they, if there were numbers to dissect, I don't know if the data has been captured. I'd say uh, severely disabled people are not participating in any, at any greater uh, rate than than 25 years ago or 30 years ago. I think more more mildly disabled individuals are being employed, which is fine, except the real discrimination occurs against people with very severe disabilities who are really quite capable and just need some accommodations and things like that. But, you know, just to answer your question in the broad sense of the word, there's been very little but a small amount of improvement. And now since COVID-19 has hit, uh, one in five disabled people that were working are out of a job compared to one out of one out of seven non-disabled individuals uh, who are yeah. not disabled. So, so, in other words, it's affecting us more uh, severely than uh, non-disabled individuals. And that's part of the last in, first to go, you know. Now, with the ADA, um, in many states, they have it, this um, um, higher fire at will um, light. And then there's the Miracle of Disabilities Act, which actually is undercut by some of the state laws. Do you think that there would be an amendment to the ADA that addresses this deficit? Well, um, I'd have to look at it really carefully. Uh, I think any amendments to the ADA are unlikely because once you open it up for any amendments, uh, for one amendment, you're opening it up for all amendments. And sometimes we get things we don't want. There and so I'd be really careful mm -hmm. about you know doing anything that would l lose ground for us, not gain ground. And while I know the intent of what you're talking about is very positive and good, and trying to 
fix something. I, I don't want to see us lose whatever what small gains we've gotten from the ADA. And the ADA has been a phenomenal loss, and without a doubt. In the employment area, it has not been as successful. But for the most part, it's changed. It's changed the landscape of America. It's, uh, we now participate uh, much more freely, I think, in, in communications, especially in ICT, in information and communication technologies. But, you know, that's not explicitly spelled out in ADA, and court cases have finally been holding that, ADA, uh, that ICT uh, is covered under the ADA, but it took, it's taken years for it to take hold, and it's still not embedded or baked into the uh, developer's roles in, in developing software and the like. So, yeah, there are a lot of, there are a lot of gaps still to fill. What is the solution for getting there to be change outside of the law? Well, we've, I feel like, uh, I feel like John Lewis speaking on, on the mall in 1963 when he was talking with Martin Luther King and talking about we don't want a gradual, uh, you know, allocation or allowance of our civil rights. We want we want our civil rights now, and we want all of them. We don't want it to be gradual, and so it, it's going to take. If you don't, if, you, if we don't amend the ADA, it's going to take extraordinary leadership and examples to uh, continue to derive the awareness and the contributions that people with disabilities can be making is allowed to. So it, it, it befalls um, our community to, to develop our our role models in the life, but we have to have an underpinning of civil rights. We have to have that, and we have to hold on to it dearly. And I'm, I'm worried under our current leadership that uh, we could lose ground um, quickly if something, you know, if, if certain executive orders were issued and other things were to happen, we could, we could easily lose ground. And that's why I decided to make that the topic of this show. Uh, well, you've got um, <clears throat> medical situations where people with disabilities that now have coronavirus are not seen as people who can be safe because they have an underlying disability. You have the work laws where in some states the ADA is doing great and they have great um, programs and they've shown that they have consistent steady employment. So you said leadership, and we've lost and we have gained in leadership. But the pioneers in what the ADA was supposed to really be about, um, whether it's leveling the playing field or at least making the playing field more um, appealing and hiring people who uh, are capable, as you say, of doing the job. Right. Right. Leadership. Leadership. <laughs> it's got to be visible, out and proud leadership by people with disabilities who really don't mind speaking up and, and talking about their presence and, and the importance of their presence. Not only their contribution, but their presence. And, and I'll, I'll just go a little political here and say, wouldn't it be amazing if uh, Senator Tammy Duckworth were the Joe Biden's running mate? Would that right. not be? Would that not be a message to the world, not only to America, but to the world, about 
the capabilities and the strengths of uh, a person who didn't start life as a disabled person, is a, is a hero, a, a warrior, a, you know, a helicopter pilot that crashed, launch you being a wounded veteran, and is now back in, in, in the United States Senate and sees disability very clearly as an identity that she embraces. I think that would be such a powerful statement. Now, there are a lot of good reasons why African-American women uh, and other other people should be considered for a running mate, but I can see this one being very positive for people with disabilities and for women uh, and for diversity in general. Or if it's not uh, Vice President, Attorney General, Secretary of State, <laughs> there's there many, many roles that um, uh, not just uh, Duckworth, but many other people who, you know, they could fill those roles. It would be great, you know, for people with yeah. disabilities. Um, I love, but we I love <laughs> Now, when you were with the um, uh, uh, Department of Labor, um, they were talking about uh, doing this same thing. And percentage-wise, aren't we in the same place we were, say, 15 years ago, 20 years ago? Yes, we are. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was looking, I was thinking, wait a minute. Um, <laughs> uh, I've sat in and, um, on some of the grants that many of the states were dealing with, you know, trying to get people back to work and life accounts, et cetera. And that's another thing. Even if you work with a disability, you're capped as to what you can make. Do you really think that's fair? No. I, I mean, it's crazy. And, and, you know, tracking what people can make so they get other benefits. I mean, there, there should be some kind of a blending of, you know, and a gradual reduction and, and you know, this, this threshold is just nonsense. And I, I find it to be very, very difficult. To, to imagine. Too many out-of-pocket costs for people with disabilities, whether it just be medical for medicine and or AIDS. That's not even considered in the income that you make as a person with a disability. So if you make a certain amount, you know, if you make a certain amount, they think it's that's adequate. Yeah. It's a disability tax, and, and you're taxing people with disabilities who already make very little money on in general and it's it's really unfair. You know, it's just inherently unfair. And then you add into that waiting list. Mm-hmm. Uh, people put on waiting lists for entitlement programs. Now you're entitled to the program and the benefits of the program, but you're put on a waiting list that might take two, three, four years for it to clear. How do you live your life? How do you develop new skills? How do you how do you access the community when this is going on? It's Nonsense. It's really terribly, terrible nonsense that's, that's happening. We were talking about the um, statistics of people with, uh, who are working or who weren't working with disabilities. And, um, you know, it's 65% of people without disabilities who, you know, um, may or may not be employed, but it's, you know, less than uh, about 16% of people with disabilities, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, and we were talking about um, where we might need to go in terms of having things change for people with disabilities. Did you know that there's a 1938 Fair Labor Standard Act, which has an average salary of the 
you know, 400,000 people with disabilities working of making only $2.15 an hour? Yikes. Yikes. No, I didn't know that. <laughs> That's terrible. You know, yeah, that, that, and that, um, that, it's a loophole. It's a loophole. Yeah. People are people are using that, and they are using uh, it compared. They're comparing your labor, you know, productive uh, productivity or ability. And the the clause in this act allows any firm with a 4C certificate to pay out wages based on that productivity and ability. And that has people with disabilities making the average, uh, and many of the jobs they're able to get as as low as $2.15 an an hour. My thing to you is, with the hire and fire at will state that can hire and fire you and jobs with people with disabilities, (laughs) really, if you can even find a job, um, how do we... How do we actually get on a level playing field? Yeah, this is, um, you're asking the the billion-dollar question. Um, I, you know, my my take on where, where disability employment is going and what, what might be a solution is, is probably going to be the, the way in which work is going to become more, personally branded and um, personally oriented. And so what I'm suggesting is that in 20 years from now, people, pe- all people, including people with disabilities, will, will have developed sets of skills that maybe they're really great at three to five things, really great. And mm-hmm. as, in, as in independent contractors, Employers will engage them to accomplish the tasks that they need done for just a discrete purpose. Uh, and so people with disabilities may have four, five, six, ten clients that, you know, will, for which they will do one of those three to five areas of expertise that they're really great at, as will non-disabled individuals. And I think we're going to move in that direction. And the hard part will be for employers to be able to assemble, you know, first of all, write up what the, what the jobs are that they were on contract out for, and then find the people that have these skill sets and then engage them and bring them all these disparate pieces together and reassemble them into, like, a finished job or a finished product or service. So... It's a pretty novel way of looking at disability employment, mm-hmm. but I think ultimately mm-hmm. that's that's really might be where we're all headed. You know, everybody, everybody talks about their personal brand and how we're all supposed to be branding ourselves with our areas of expertise and our and our what we're known for and what music we like and all that stuff. Well, I think it's going to extend to people's ability to do certain jobs really well. And they don't have to leave home now. We've learned that we can work from home. Uh, So I think it's going to be liberating to a certain extent for a lot of people with disabilities. How's that for a while? I think you're right. I think you're right. I don't don't see very many people wanting to go back in a a cold office building to work unless they just have to. That's right. They, they, They won't and they don't. But it's always been that way, I think, at least within the last 20 years. People, you know, with the technology, haven't 
it's just one of the things that we've been used to, but te- the technology's always been there. We just need to really use it now. Yeah, and, it, and it's growing faster, faster and faster. And we've, we've started to use so much technology. We were using it a little bit, you know, but, my gosh, it's so, so phenomenal right now. And it's only going to get better and better. Um, so, accessibility, they did a study saying that there were um, only, like, almost 30,000 people with disabilities that joined the workforce in 2018 compared to maybe three years before that where there were 343,000 in two years, in the, in the two years prior to that. And, you know, I, I look at not just the work from home issue, but also even if somebody wants to interview with a disability, with video interviewing, and et cetera, they go on this thing called artificial intelligence. Oh, yeah. Now, I mean, which, you know, which can definitely screen out uh, people with obvious disabilities, uh, uh, you know, but it also can... Um, because if you have a, a disability like say kidney disease or or other um, life threatening um, genetic and or long term illnesses, that screens you out too. Um, you know they give it examples of people who up front tell the employer that they have a disability compared to those who don't, and of course the ones who tell the employer up front, you know they're most likely not going to get the job. But you can't hide dialysis no, or transfusion. I can't believe you, you know. know about this. This is, um, this is what Higher View, a company called Higher View, H-I-R-E, capital D-U-E, all run together, is making mm-hmm. lots of money by selling their artificial intelligence videotape screenings, um, and they screen out people who have speech impediments, um, visual uh, quirks and tics and things like that, people who are blind, who are not looking at the camera, who are looking off to one side or another. Um, It is a completely discriminatory process, and they are selling this AI software to HR departments and companies, and it's inherently discriminatory. So you you know a lot about this already, and it is not good. Well, you know, it isn't, but things have to change now. We have coronavirus going on. One thing people aren't talking about as much, and even if you do get the articles of people who have supposedly recovered, they have long-term effects, and those long-term effects are disabling. Yeah. They're suggesting that, and, yeah, they're suggesting mm-hmm. big cognitive issues, um, around this, and this is really serious. Yeah, and other issues, you know. Um, so, and people March. who've had, the, you know, uh, first were diagnosed back in February or March, they're still going through, you know, many symptoms even after that long period of time. So we don't. There's a lot of unknowns we don't know about this. Yeah. But I'm and so, so you're, you're aware of it and you're articulating it perfectly. You don't know. And it's interesting, you said your, your best friend was Paul Hahn. It wouldn't it be interesting to get his views of what's going on right now, having been, you know, in an agency that helps people with disabilities be employed. 
Oh my God, I'd love to. I'd love to know what he thought of and was thinking about this. Oh my God, I would love it. I, I miss him terribly. He would have. He would have yeah. flipped out at what's going on and some of the really terrible treatment that people are are getting. You know. Yeah, and um, you know we're going, we're coming up on the elections, and of course we're coming up on uh, Disability Employment Awareness Month in October, and. What are some of the things that you're thinking uh, in areas that, in which people with disabilities, because I, I think that you're right uh, in saying that it has to be a person with a disability uh, that is in the forefront, or people with disabilities who are in the forefront of making these, these changes happen. Uh, because we can work from home, do, does that give us a leg up to... Um, petition people in Congress who have been uh, supporters of the ADA in the past, and even the new ones coming in to maybe get behind some new something that can help with the situation. Because it shouldn't be that we are going backwards with all of the 30 years that we're supposed to be celebrating. <laughs> we shouldn't be. I don't think we should be where we are right now. Not at all. Um, I'm, I'm afraid that the, given the economic impact of the coronavirus, uh, the slowdown of the economy, the really the, the terrible effect it's having on the economy, but the, the poorly managed process of dealing with the coronavirus by the, by the president uh, and his and this administration has really put us in a terrible situation where the economy is going to get worse before it gets better. And people with disabilities are probably, like, the last ones hired, so they'll be the first ones fired. And all the progress we've made is going to slide backwards, I think. And it's going to take a, a complete recovery in the economic sense. Um, it's, going to take, it's going to take us getting a hold of this coronavirus, getting a vaccine, getting it out there to everybody, getting people through the cycle of shots that they're going to need to take, and and then the economy will start coming back. But we're talking about significant, probably a year from now, uh, that we'll start having the economy come back. And so between now and then, I think people with disabilities are really going to be seriously disadvantaged. You think it's going to be that fast, huh? A lot of people don't think, think I'm, that at I'm all. I'm saying the recovery is going to start in a year. Uh, I'm not sure how long it's going to take. It could take five years for the economy to come back. Because if the middle class is, is pretty much <laughs> fallen by the wayside, then many uh, big-time employers like Dorf Goodman and and and, and, and Taylor, you wouldn't think that they would be filing for bankruptcy. Isn't that incredible? It's incredible. Yeah, I mean, the the big the big honchos are are filing for back bankruptcy, and many um, of the iconic brands are going out of business, and. So that's why I say, you know, I look at it this way. With the middle class, with no middle class to prop up the economy and people in trouble now, and, you know, if you look at people with disabilities and people who will be added to that disability role. Yeah, that's why I was, I was um, looking forward to having you back on the show. I was like, wow, look what's going on now. And, yeah. It's bad. Yeah. It's bad. <laughs> it's, um, we talked earlier about 
um, the kind of the rationing of health care uh, based on that serious problem. If you already have a disability, you're most likely not, even if you have the medical uh, medical, uh, means and the insurance, it's also perception. But I think that the disability community had some strong people who may not stand for it, may not um, just sit down, at least take it sitting down, literally. (laughs) I I think there will be people out that will um, be speaking out a bit more. It's just that you have to elect the right people and get people in here who understand. We, We don't have the Justin Darts and other people, but we do have some people that are still... Um, around that um, I don't know. I'm just trying to, I'm looking for solutions and, and um, I know it's not fast to use the answer, but I just thought, hmm. With this well, segment of looking at the Bookings Institute and looking at the, you know, National Council on Disability and some of the um, things they've been saying the last five years, and this is before COVID hit. They said it was bad before. Mm-hmm. Now we've got this particular situation, and it's playing out right now. I mean, we don't have all the answers; we never will. But there's got to be some sort of solution going into um, disability employment month. Something that we can put in Biden's hand, in anybody's hand, really, um, that respects people with disabilities. <laughs> right. Um, One of our answers is. To, that we've created a, a National Center on Disability Entrepreneurship. And we are looking at self-employment and looking for innovative self-starters and looking at, at trying to make sure that they have the appropriate technical assistance and professional support to be able to mm-hmm. take their idea to the point where it can be monetized uh, and that they have the appropriate banking relationships and the legal advice to get started in their business. So we think we're, we're gonna we're just going at it. Our our role is not to always think of people with disabilities trying to get a job with somebody else. Right. That, that they can create their own employment and come up with their own ideas and businesses and create their own wealth. So we're we're going at that in a big way, and if you go to our website, um, thescardycenter.org, and I think I think if you just put in backslash NCDE National mm-hmm. Center on Disability Entrepreneurship, you'll you'll find a whole bunch of information about it. Awesome, awesome. So that's that's the niche the niche that we are filling. Well, that is great. I'm glad that you mentioned that. Um, and I think that you're right. You do have to take the best of your abilities and, and market them maybe, you know, three or five different ways and, uh, and and get out there. But one of the biggest things for any entrepreneur is the funding and people to really get behind the vision because – and it's for anybody who's an entrepreneur. It doesn't matter whether you're an entrepreneur with a disability. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm, I'm sure that what you guys are doing there will help to – uh, get people on the right path and get the right partners and, and people who can see the needs for um, different types of entrepreneurs to be within the community and communities nationwide. Mm-hmm. Exactly right. Yeah. We started our first cohort in January. We've obviously moved to online, but we are going to have a 
kind of a culmination of a, of a graduating class of 13, uh, and, and we will have a pitch fest, sort of, sort of like a shark tank, and mm-hmm. we have created an accelerator fund so that if we get enough money into our accelerator fund, we will be handing out prizes based on who's, who's got the two or three very best ideas and give them a little bit of working capital to get them started. Not a lot of money, but just a little bit of money. And entrepreneurs can make a little money go a long way. Most definitely. Most definitely. The 30th anniversary of the ADA um, was pretty much drowned out by civil rights pioneer uh, John Lewis's passing. Did you know him? And um, if so, where do you see not just disability rights, disability rights are civil rights going forward. Because um, as we lose not only icons like these John Lewis's or even Justin Dart or Sylvia Walker or Marsha Bristow or, you know, know, we don't, we're not able to get out in the movement and protest and do things like we once used to do. What do you see for the future? I I do think that I did know John Lewis, uh, anytime he showed up at a disability uh, event in D.C. when I was there, it, it added such gravitas and um, importance to the event and such dignity that everyone felt just so honored. And he was like this humble giant, um, and he he embraced the disability movement, and he understood everything about it, given exactly what he had gone through. And so his his passionate speech when he was like 22 years old and the youngest speaker on the, on the mall with Martin Luther King in '63 was you know it was about no we are not going to accept our civil rights gradually we want them all now and it was sort of an impatient but he knew he could never use violence to get what he wanted and needed but he would just he'd use kindness and persistence and good trouble as he called it. And I think we I don't mind I don't mind um thinking that his death overshadowed the the ADA's birthday. I it actually was almost symbolic that such things were going on that we were honoring his life as we were honoring the thirtieth anniversary because it's on the backs of people like John Lewis that our our civil rights have been given, granted, earned, and embraced. So I'm I'm so grateful to have known him. I think he's going to go down in history as one of the all-time greatest people ever. Uh, and I'm just think think he helped our disability movement move along much faster. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He and uh, Major Owen and. Oh, a few people, right? Tony Coelho. I mean, there are a lot of names that, um, you know, are probably well before my, my understanding um, and introduction into the movement. But uh, many, many people. But, yeah, John Lewis was a big a big icon, and he was willing to put down his life for civil rights. Yeah. You got And just like we're talking about what – what people with disabilities should do is become become political. He became a political 
person. He, he went into Congress for 30 years. I, you know, it's just amazing that that, that, that gentleman just wasn't going to keep complaining about something. He actually was going to try and solve the problem. And he certainly helped uh, the, the Congress and the people of the United States in understanding, you know, racial inequities and trying to solve the problems. And, you know, there's this an advocate's work is never done. And he was he knew he always had to keep trying to improve the lives of, of black people um, every day. And that's the way I think we feel about all underrepresented, underprivileged um, people, disadvantaged mm-hmm. people. Got to do it every day. And he went in and became a, a political force. I'm, I think that's the same thing that should happen for people with disabilities. We were talking about the um, statistics of people with, uh, who are working or who weren't working with disabilities. And... Um, you know, it's 65% of people without disabilities who, you know, um, may or may not be employed, but it's, you know, less than uh, about 16% of people with disabilities, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. And we were talking about um, where we might need to go in terms of having things change for people with disabilities. Did you know that there's a 1938 Fair Labor Standard Act which has an average salary of the, you know, 400,000 people with disabilities working of making only $2.15 an hour? Yikes. Yikes. No, I didn't know that. (laughs) That's terrible. Yeah, and um, it's a a loophole. It's a loophole. People are are using that, and they are using uh, it. Compared, they're comparing your labor, you know, productive uh, productivity or ability, and the the clause in this act allows any firm with a 4C certificate to pay out wages based on that productivity and ability, and that has people with disabilities making the average, uh, and many of the jobs they're able to get of as low as two dollars and fifteen an hour. My thing to you is, with the hire and fire at will states that can hire and fire you and jobs with people with disabilities, <laughs> really, if you can even find a job, um, how do we how do we actually get on a level playing field? Yeah, this is, um, you're, you're asking the, the billion-dollar question. Um, I, you know, my, my take on where where disability employment is going and what what might be a solution is is probably going to be the, the way in which work is going to become more personally branded and um, personally oriented. And so what I'm suggesting is that in 20 years from now, people, pe- all people, including people with disabilities, will, will have developed sets of skills that Maybe they're really great at three to five things, really great. And mm-hmm. as, in, as in independent contractors, employers will engage them to accomplish the tasks that they need done for just a discrete purpose. Uh, and so people with disabilities may have four, five, six, ten clients that, you know, will, for which they will do one of those three to five areas of expertise that they're really great at, 
as will non-disabled individuals. And I think we're going to move in that direction, and the hard part will be for employers to be able to assemble, you know, first of all, write up what the, what the jobs are that they run contract out for, and then find the people that have these skill sets and then engage them and bring them all these disparate pieces together and reassemble them into, like, a finished job or a finished product or service. So it's a pretty novel way of looking at disability employment, mm-hmm. but I think ultimately mm-hmm. that's, that's really might be where we're all headed. You know, everybody, everybody talks about their personal brand and how we're all supposed to be branding ourselves with our areas of expertise and our and our what we're known for and what music we like and all that stuff. Well, I think it's going to extend to people's abilities to do certain jobs really well. And they don't have to leave home now. We've learned that we can work from home. Uh, so I think it's going to be liberating to a certain extent for a lot of people with disabilities. How's that for a while? I think you're right. I Good. think you're right. I don't, I, I, don't, I don't see very many people wanting to go back in a, in a cold office building to work unless they just have to. That's right. They, they, they want and they don't. But it's always been that way, I think, at least within the last 20 years. People, you know, with, with technology haven't – it's just one of the things that we've been used to, but the technology has always been there. We just need to really use it now. Yeah, and it's, and it's growing faster, faster and faster. And we've, we've started to use so much technology. We were using it a little bit, you know, but, my gosh, it's so, so phenomenal right now. And it's only going to get better and better. Let's hope. Disability, they did a study saying that there were um, only, like, almost 30,000 people with disabilities that joined the workforce in 2018 compared to maybe three years before that where there were 343,000 in two years, in the the two years prior to that. And, you know, I, I look at not just the work from home issue, but also, even if somebody wants to interview with a disability, with video interviewing, et cetera, they go on this thing called artificial intelligence. Oh, yeah. Now, and then which, you know, which can definitely screen out uh, people with obvious disabilities, uh, uh, you know, but it also can, um, because if you have a, a disability like, say, kidney disease or, or other um life-threatening um, genetic and or long-term illnesses, that screens you out, too. Um, you know, they give it examples of people who up front tell the employer that they have a disability compared to those who don't. And, of course, the ones who tell the employer up front, you know, they're most likely not going to get the job. But you can't hide dialysis no, for transfusion. I can't believe you, you know, know about this. This is... Um this is what HireVue, a company called HireVue, H-I-R-E, capital V-U-E, all run together, is making mm-hmm. jobs of money by selling their artificial intelligence videotape screenings, um, and they screen out people who have speech impediments, um, visual uh, quirks and tics and things like that, people who are blind who are not looking at the camera, who are looking off to one side or another. Um, it, it is a complete...
completely discriminatory process, and they are selling this AI software to HR departments and companies, and it's inherently discriminatory. So you know you know a lot about this already, and it is not good. Well, you know, it isn't, but things have to change now. We have coronavirus going on. One thing people aren't talking about as much, and even if you do get the articles of people who have supposedly recovered, they have long-term effects. And those long-term effects are disabling. Yeah. They're suggesting that... And, yeah, they're suggesting mm-hmm. the cognitive issues um, around this, and this is really serious. Yeah. And other issues, you know. Um, so, and people March. who've had, the, you know, uh, first were diagnosed back in February or March, they're still going through, you know, many symptoms even after that long period of time. So we don't. There's a lot of unknowns we don't know about this. Yeah, but I'm and so, so you're you're aware of it and you're articulating it perfectly. You don't know. And it's interesting, you said your your best friend was Paul Hahn. It wouldn't be interesting to get his views of what's going on right now, having been, you know, in an agency that helps people with disabilities be employed. Oh my god, I'd love to I'd love to know what he thought of and was thinking about this. Oh my god. I would love it. I, I miss him terribly. He would have he would have yeah. flipped out at the, what's going on some of the really terrible treatment that people are, are getting, you know? Yeah. And, um, you know, we're, going, we're coming up on the elections, and, of course, we're coming up on uh, Disability Employment Awareness Month in October. And what are some of the things that you're thinking uh, in areas that, in which people with disabilities, because I, I think that you're right uh, in saying it has to be, a person with a disability uh, that is in the forefront, or people with disabilities who are in the forefront of making these, these changes happen. Uh, because we can work from home, do, does that give us a leg up to um, petition people in Congress who have been uh, supporters of the ADA in the past, and even the new ones coming in to maybe get behind some new something that can help? of the situation, because it shouldn't be that we are going backwards with all of the 30 years that we're supposed to be celebrating. <laughs> we shouldn't be, I don't think we should be where we are right now. Not at all. Um, I'm afraid that the, given the economic impact of the coronavirus, uh, the slowdown of the economy, the really the, the terrible effect it's having on the economy. The, the, the poorly managed process of dealing with the coronavirus by the, by the president uh, and, his, and this administration has really put us in a terrible situation where the economy is going to get worse before it gets better. And people with disabilities are probably like the last ones hired, so they'll be the first ones fired. And all the progress we've made is going to slide backwards, I think. And it's going to take a, a complete recovery in the economic sense. Um, it's, going to take, it's going to take us getting a hold of this coronavirus, getting a vaccine, 
getting it out there to everybody, getting people through the cycle of shots that they're going to need to take, and and then the economy will start coming back. But we're talking about significant, probably a year from now, uh, that we'll start having the economy come back. And so between now and then, I think people with disabilities are really going to be seriously disadvantaged. You think it's going to be that fast, huh? A lot of people don't think, think I'm, that at all. I'm saying the recovery is going to start in a year. Uh, I'm not sure how long it's going to take. It could take five years for the economy to come back. Because if the middle class is, is pretty much <laughs> fallen by the wayside, then many uh, big-time employers like Dorf Goodman and, 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 and Gordon Taylor, you wouldn't think that they would be filing for bankruptcy. Isn't that incredible? Yeah, I mean, the the big the big honchos are are filing for bankruptcy, and many um, of the iconic brands are going out of business. And so that's why I say, you know, I look at it this way: with the middle class, with no middle class to prop up the economy, and people in trouble now. And you know, if you look at people with disabilities, and people will be added to that disability role. Yeah, that's why I was, I was um, looking forward to having you back on the show. I was like, wow, look what's going on now. And yeah, it's bad. Yeah. <laughs> it's bad. It's, um, we, we talked earlier about um, the kind of the rationing of health care uh, based on mm-hmm. that serious problem. Yeah. If now you already have, have a disability, you're most likely not, even if you have the medical, uh, medical uh, means and the insurance, it's also perception, but I think that the disability community had such some strong people who may not stand for it, may not um, just sit down, at least take it sitting down, literally. <laughs> I, I think there will be people out that will um, be speaking out a bit more. It's just that you have to elect the right people and get people in here who understand. We, we don't have the Justin Darks and other people. But we do have some people that are still um, around that, um, I don't know, I'm just trying to, I'm looking for solutions, and, and um, I know it's not fast to you the answer, but I just thought, hmm. With this well, segment of looking at the Bookings Institute and looking at the, you know, National Council on Disability and some of the um, things we've been saying in the last five years, and this is before, COVID hit. They said it was bad before. Mm-hmm. Now we've got this particular situation, and it's playing out right now. I mean, we don't have all the answers. We never will. But there's got to be some sort of solution going into um, Disability Employment Month, something that we can put in Biden's hand, in anybody's hand, really, um, that respects people with disabilities. <laughs> right. Um, One of our answers is to, that we've created a, a national center on disability entrepreneurship, and we are looking at self-employment and looking for innovative self-starters, and looking at, at trying to make sure that they have the appropriate technical assistance and professional support to be able to mm-hmm. take their idea to the point where it can be monetized. Uh, and that they have the appropriate banking relationships and the legal advice to get started in their business. So we think we're, we're gonna we're just going at it 
our, our role is not to always think of people with disabilities trying to get a job with somebody else. Right. Means that they can create their own employment and mm -hmm. come up with their own ideas and businesses and create their own wealth. So we're we're going at that in a big way. And if you go to our website, um, thescardicenter.org, and I think I think if you just put in backslash NCDE National mm -hmm. Center on Disability Entrepreneurship, you'll you'll find a whole bunch of information about it. Awesome. Awesome. So that that's the niche the niche that we are filling. Well that is a glory of glad that you mentioned that. Um, and I think that you're right. You do have to take the best of your abilities and, and market them maybe, you know, three or five different ways and, uh, and and get out there. But one of the biggest things for any entrepreneur is the funding and people to really get behind the vision because – and it's for anybody who's an entrepreneur. It doesn't matter whether you're an entrepreneur with a disability. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm, I'm sure that what you guys are doing there will help to – uh, get people on the right path and get the right partners and, and people who can see the needs for um, different types of entrepreneurs to be within the community and communities nationwide. Mm -hmm. Exactly right. Yeah. We started our first cohort in January. We've obviously moved to online, but we are going to have a kind of a culmination of a, of a graduating class of 13, uh, and, and we will have a pitch fest, sort of, sort of like a shark tank, and mm -hmm. we have created an accelerator fund so that if we get enough money into our accelerator fund, we will be handing out prizes based on who's, who's got the two or three very best ideas and give them a little bit of working capital to get them started. Not a lot of money, but just a little bit of money. And, and entrepreneurs can make a little money go a long way. Most definitely. Most definitely. The 30th anniversary of the ADA um, was pretty much drowned out by civil rights pioneer uh, John Lewis's passing. Did you know him? And um, if so, where do you see... Not just disability rights. Disability rights are civil rights going forward. Because um, as we lose not only icons like the John Lewis's or even Justin Dart or Sylvia Walker or Marsha Bristow or, you know, you know, we don't, we're not able to get out in the movement and protest and do things like we once used to do. What do you see for the future? I, I do think that I did know John Lewis, uh, anytime he showed up at a disability uh, event in D.C. when I was there, it, it added such gravitas and um, importance to the event and such dignity that everyone felt just so honored. And he was like this humble giant, um, and he, he embraced the disability movement, and he understood everything about it, given exactly what he had gone through. And so his his passionate speech when he was like 22 years old and the youngest speaker on the, on the mall with Martin Luther King in 63 was, you know, it was about, no, we are not going to accept our civil rights gradually. We want them all now. And it was sort of an impatient, but he knew he could 
never used violence to get what he wanted and needed, but he would just use kindness and persistence and good trouble, as he called it. And I think we, I don't mind, I don't mind um, thinking that his death overshadowed the the ADA's birthday. I, it actually was almost symbolic that such things were going on that we were honoring his life as we were honoring the 30th anniversary because it's on the backs of people like John Lewis that our our civil rights have been given, granted, earned, and embraced. So I'm I'm so grateful to have known him. I think he's going to go down in history as one of the all-time greatest people ever. Uh, and I'm just think think he helped our disability movement move along much faster. Mhm. Mhm. He and uh, Major Owen and what a few people, right? Tony Colombo. I mean, there are a lot of names that um, you know were probably well before my my understanding um, and introduction into the movement. But uh, many many people. But yeah, John Lewis was a big a big icon, and he was willing to put down his life for civil rights. But just like we're talking about what what people with disabilities should do, it's become become political. He became a political person. He he went into Congress for thirty years. I, you know, it's just amazing that 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 gentleman just wasn't going to keep complaining about something. He actually was going to try and solve the problem, and he certainly helped uh, the the Congress and people of the United States and understanding, you know, racial inequities and trying to solve the problems. And, you know, there's this, an advocate's work is never done. And he was, he knew he always had to keep trying to improve the lives of, of black people um, every day. And that's the way I think we feel about all underrepresented, underprivileged um, people, disadvantaged mm-hmm. people. Got to do it every day. And he went in and became a a political force. I'm, I think that's the same thing that should happen for people with disabilities. Well, this has been great to hear your views on what's going on now and about the Viscardi Center. And they're looking to encourage people to look towards entrepreneurship. I mean, it's so important, you know, to look and see various ways. And especially now, marketing one or two ways just doesn't cut it. You've got to, you know... Um, maybe spread that out maybe in four or five different areas <laughs> that are maybe related to what you're good at. But uh, today, take for instance, um, I um, when I started uh, as a, an author, many of the authors uh, were speakers. Well, now you can't really get out and speak because of COVID. But um, they were doing commentary and doing other things with the universities, et cetera. So they're learning to also uh, maximize their talents and and grow yeah. in a different way. So I think this is all basically a reboot for all of us. And looking at our skills and what we can do positively uh, to use them in different areas and in different ways. That's good. That's good. <laughs> Thanks so much for being back. I appreciate it. You know, I'm so it's so nice to talk to someone who who understands the history 
and the context that we're in. So I really, really appreciate it very, very much. I appreciate talking to you, and um, it's, it's a privilege, and so thank you very much.